Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Walk away and also accept that and not get into these longer litigation battles and understand what's going on in the economy. The indicators were there that this was going to happen with a construction lender and we should have paid attention a little sooner. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Brenda Moss. Brenda is joining us from Los Angeles. She's the founding and managing partner of Vestwell Ventures, who are multifamily operators and developers who focus on value-add opportunities. Currently, GP's 167 units, and she's also an LP in over 1,000 units. Brenda, can you start us off with a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yes. First of all, thank you for having me. Of course. I started in multifamily back in 2002. So I've been involved professionally in multifamily and uh, I started off just by chance in real estate. So I worked for a developer operator builder and I dove into some asset management early on in my career with them and managed over 800 units and multiple portfolios in the asset management side. And luckily I got to transition over to the development side. 
So I oversaw everything from acquisitions, entitlement, subdivision, and then stabilization and financing in that space. And we handled everything when it came to luxury, class A, multifamily, mixed-use projects, and high-rise condos in the Los Angeles market. And eventually, I left that job in 2019, started off on my own, did some consulting for developers. And in 2021, I discovered syndications. I didn't know what syndications were. They don't occur here in Los Angeles. And so it really piqued my interest. And I told my husband about it, and he's a construction expert. We actually met at work, and he's built over 12,000 units. And I told him, you know what? If normal people are doing this, why aren't we looking into it? We should be bringing our expertise into this field and making investors some money. So that's exactly what we did, and we formed Bestwell Ventures. And by September, we had two properties in Dallas under contract, and we closed in December. And we've just been operating those, seeing the market go awry, and decided to pivot and go into what we really enjoy, which is development of multifamily. So that's what we've been doing is focusing now on our strategy, which is to just build a lot of really great partnerships in the Sunbelt area and go into the development space there. Nice. So you got into multifamily development, working for developers 20 years ago. So you brought quite a bit of experience into it when you started in syndication. It sounds like up until 2019 or a little later, everything you were doing was Los Angeles based. That's correct. Gotcha. I have met a couple of people who syndicate opportunities in Los Angeles and the opportunities are few and far between in part because of the property values and the appreciation potential, but also because of all of the regulation involved. Sure. There are a lot of people who are making that move to invest in Texas. That makes a lot of sense. When you started looking into syndicating last year, are you guys co-GPing with other operators or are these two deals last September that you guys identified, underwrote, got under contract, raised for, and are now executing on the business plan yourselves? So we actually did find other partners, but we are the lead sponsor. So I'm the operator basically doing all the asset management on these properties. And he, my husband, handles all of the CapEx value add portion of it. So we really got to hone in and utilize our skills when it came to operating these properties. Gotcha. Couple of questions here. I want to talk about these properties and what you guys are doing, especially because we're recording in July. So you are within a year of closing. I'm assuming you're still in your value add phase, going through the kinds of things that our listeners are going through or will be going through in a few weeks when this airs, likely in late August. But to make sure I'm asking the right questions, Brenda, within your operations, what is it that you focus on with these two properties? So with these two properties, it's so important to really know who your tenant is. So when we were doing the due diligence, we walked every single unit. I got to meet and speak to the tenants personally. So I understand what their ailments are. And believe it or not, I grew up in a very similar situation. So I understood that they truly are the type of tenant that need a place to lay their head. There are workforce type of individuals. So for us, it's really important that we are able to provide a place for them that's not just improving, obviously, the living conditions, because 
There were some deferred maintenance issues within the buildings, but providing the basic items that some of these families need, for example, just upgrading the playground area, creating secured access for them. And so much more is being spent on just the things that were deferred over time. Now you have climate change really pushing these weather patterns. So for example, we had to address a lot of the AC units that needed to be fixed before we have this summer that we're dealing with now. That would have been a disaster to have to have the city really come after you because you're not being able to provide a basic safe unit for your tenants. So for us, it's really understanding what our tenants needed and addressing those items because they're just really tenants that they don't need luxury. So for us to spend money adding value to, say, the aesthetics of a building, it wasn't really needed, especially in this type of market where you're having such a high rent growth organically. You don't need to spend that kind of cost. Brenda, tell us more about these two properties. I know some Dallas neighborhoods, but what kind of neighborhoods are they in? What kind of buildings are they? What did you buy it for? And from where to where are you trying to take the rents? So we bought two properties. They average about 88000 a unit. You cannot find that anymore in Dallas whatsoever. So that was a really great buy. The rents were really under market. They were averaging about 800 a unit. We're pushing those up to about 1,000 a unit. And that is organically happening. I'm an apartment owner operator in Cincinnati, Ohio. This sounds very familiar to what I do. The workforce housing Rents were averaging 800. You can get them to 1,000. And then you said you bought them for about 88 a door. September of 2021, we didn't realize at the time how great of a time that was to get your debt. Let me ask so that all of us who are looking at deals in mid 2022 can drool. What did your mortgage terms look like? So because of the type of product that it was and the lending options that were available at the time, it was a SOFA over 3.8, I believe, percent. So that has completely changed. It wasn't really something to drool about at the moment. I don't think so. I think it's pretty similar, if not slightly better than what you could probably get today. But we tried to make those numbers work early on. Gotcha. There were a lot of people I know who thought that I was crazy when a partner and I, we were doing a cash out refinance on an apartment building. We decided to put it on a 15 year fixed rate mortgage at 4% in part because that means that 15 years from the start of that mortgage, he and I will both have daughters graduating from high school. A great time to have a free and clear apartment building, but also we wanted to lock in an interest rate at 4% for 15 years in March of 2021. Now it looks like our eight ball is magical, but there were a lot of people questioning that decision at the time. What kind of term do you have on your your debt? Just like everybody else, we went in with bridge debt. We did a 311. And of course, in hindsight, we should have followed what you did and really gone for long-term debt. I think a lot of syndicators were pushed in that direction because the LTV, the way the numbers worked, it just made sense to go with bridge lending. A lot of them are still doing that now, but definitely the rate caps at the time when we bought, they were so affordable. What you're getting those rate caps at now are just not making any of the deals work. 
And I'm still seeing people really aggressively going after deals until very recently, I would say. And that was always a red flag for us, which is why we decided to transition over more into the development side and go back to our roots was because of that, because we saw that there were a lot of red flags in the market and having us gone through the market previously in 08, 09 and having experienced that, you kind of have some PTSD. So everybody is going crazy, overbidding. We took a step back and we said, the indicators are there. What we might have learned in 2008 was pay attention, start looking at what is the market doing. And those indicators were there, like I mentioned, but a lot of people still refuse to acknowledge them because they're in that get a deal mode. And for us, it was, let's take a step back while everybody is going after these deals that really only institutions would go after. And even the institutions are not pulling back. That to us was a red flag. If the institutions are not going after those deals, the syndicators are getting awarded those deals, that's the time to really assess what you're doing. That being said, and Brenda, I get what you're saying about getting bridge debt in late 2021. However, you also found an asset where your rents were 20 to 25% below market. So getting your rents up to market, just that is going to help you ride a lot of turbulent waters. You said the rents are naturally going from 800 to 1,000. Are you also finding opportunities to increase from 1,000 if you improve the units significantly? I'll be honest with you. No, there isn't. I think right now that with organically how rents are going, you are able to increase this amount without doing really much to the units. Frankly, spending money to improve some of these units, in my opinion, is not something you need to do when organic rent is happening naturally. So I don't believe in doing that. I'm not a slumlord. I will definitely fix a unit if it needs to but I don't need to go and spend my CapEx money to upgrade a unit and add some nice countertops if it's not going to rent substantially more than I'm able to just naturally increase those rents. Man, I was just having this conversation. I hope I was just having it for a podcast episode. I don't remember. So many of my friends are apartment investors too. But in neighborhoods like the one you're describing in Dallas and in neighborhoods where some of my portfolio is in Cincinnati, these are very budget conscious renters. And there's a real threshold to what they're willing to pay. And it might be tied to their income. It might be tied to their perception of what rent ought to be in an inflationary environment. But to your point, in neighborhoods where I am, there's just a threshold that people are not willing to go above when it comes to what they're willing to pay in rent unless you're heavily amenitized and you're basically changing asset classes of your property at that point. And yeah, there are $50 increments that make all the difference in these rents. So to your point, with a couple of my properties, one of them has been going really well for a couple of years now. The other one I've been managing for nine months and it's really a 12 month value add business plan that I tried to force a little too quickly, but it's still gonna end up being 12 months. I am making these apartments nice places to live, making sure that my tenants' needs are addressed and making sure that they have a quality, affordable place to live. And at the end of the day, my profitability will come from my speed and my operations more than anything. How quickly am I getting to the prospective tenants? How quickly am I addressing issues? How quickly am I corresponding with my tenants 
about their concerns when they bring them up. There are a lot of operational efficiencies there that are starting to do good things for me in these workforce housing rent rate capped neighborhoods. So I totally get what you're saying. You're getting no judgment from me. I'm right there with you, Brenda, for sure. You can't change a location of a building and really trying to transition and change your tenant base. It's a huge undertaking. So to spend that money, you're probably not going to recoup what you're spending in those rent bumps that you're going to get to completely do a unit upgrade. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years. And he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. So after finding a couple of apartment deals that it sounds like are going to work out really well, even on bridge debt, you decided to go back to what at least to me seems like a more complicated, longer process deal of developing multifamily. So tell me a little bit more about that. Why is it that you have more of a competitive advantage there and that you and your husband have so much experience in the industry? Is that why you're going to development or is there something else here that I'm missing? No, there's definitely the competitive side, right? We do have access to every consultant. There are actually a lot of our investors who are like structural engineers, architects. So we form these partnerships. We know construction inside and out. We've gone through the development process. Like I mentioned, he's built over 12,000 units. I've done the development side over 5,000 units. So we bring that to the table, but also it's very market driven. You have a huge need for housing right now. And with the uncertainty that's happening in the market, it makes sense for us to take this time and really just find land deals go through the entitlement process, let things kind of settle down a bit and then be ready to, with our permits to start break ground. There's just not going to be enough units to be built that can meet the demand. And the man is there and we have the know-how. Why not bring that to our investors and allow them to make money alongside us? Brenda, that makes so much sense. I hadn't until now heard it put that way with all of the 
interest rate inflation volatility that we're experiencing right now. Land deals, how long it takes to go through an entitlement process. Frankly, it gives you time to figure out exactly where this economy is headed. Is the market cycle turning while you're doing that? And in the meantime, the demand for housing is only going up. And so whether or not the economy is better for what you're looking at a year from now or two years from now is not going to have an impact on the demand for the thing that you want to build. So that makes so much sense. It's not. And in the meantime, we get to add value to land, right? While all this is getting figured out. So that's exactly what we want to do is just take this time and take advantage of our expertise and do exactly what we know how to do. Are you under contract on any land deals right now? Or have you acquired any? We've fallen through out of some of them. And to be honest with you, I'm seeing a lot of new land deals coming through and prices dropping. So really? now we're getting to pick and choose and we're being a lot more selective now. That's awesome. From the time that you get a fully signed accepted contract, from that time, how long do you anticipate that it will take to have a fully constructed, fully rented multifamily community? And are there stop gaps along the way or are there times during the development process where you've added enough value that it may make sense to go ahead and sell and deliver a high but sort of premature return to your investors? There's different strategies you can take. You definitely want to mitigate your risk as you're moving along. So one of the things that we want to do, well, first I'll answer your timeline question. It all depends on what region you are investing in. Of course, of course. If you do Los Angeles, for example, from the time you purchase a property to the time you finish construction, it can be anywhere between 36 to 48 months. It can be a much longer process. And hopefully you don't have any appeals. But then if you go to somewhere else where zoning is less regulated, they are very business friendly, there's not a lot of barriers to entry, then it shortens that time period. It can be 24 months to 36 months. It all depends on the scale of what you're building. Now, when it comes to when you want to be able to give your investors a return, we look at it like we break it up into different investment opportunities. So we can either decide that we're going to raise all the way through RTI, which is getting the permit that allows us to then flip it and sell it. We can sell it to another developer who wants to build it. So that's an exit strategy, or we can see it all the way through and either allow more investors to come in at the RTI stage or raise it all from the very beginning and be able to then sell it stabilize and then sell it at the back end once we have all the occupancy and be able to just upload it and dispose it to the next operator. How you said you're getting to be more picky now about land deals. What markets are you looking in for land deals right now? And how do you decide which land deals are the right ones for you guys? What are the attributes of that land that make you want it. So we've actually partnered with a really great architecture firm and they have done studies on what a typical city block will look like. And with that study, we're able to determine this is how much land you need for parking. 
set aside. So you can save costs instead of having to do subterranean parking. You can then just build a city block of parking. Most of the time, what will cost the most is your podium when you're building a new building. What's most important for us is not just the size of the land, is how are they treating developers coming into their town? What are the regulations that are in place? Do we have some that are friendly? For example, do the cities just have a very simple over-the-counter process? Or do you have to go through a very serious process like they do in Los Angeles, where zoning changes from, honestly, block to block? So those are things that we really take in consideration. Right now, our focus is in the Houston market because they have less of a zoning restrictions there. And that expedites our development timeline. Gotcha. So give me a quick summary here, if you can, Brenda. Within your development timeline, how many phases are there at the end of which it makes sense to reevaluate and decide whether or not you could or should sell early? There's so many with multifamily investing within syndications. You kind of really have to have a feel of what is happening in the market. A lot of it is driven by your loan. Construction loans are variable loans. And you have to really understand not just what is happening in the finance side of it, but you have to understand also what is happening in the construction industry. Like right now, we have such volatility, commodity prices, We have a shortage in labor. So if we cannot feel confident with knowing that we're going to be able to procure the construction material that we're going to need, if we're not going to feel confident that we have a general contractor that's going to be able to fulfill their promise, those are all things that we have to take in consideration. So we're assessing what we do along the way on a day-to-day basis. Gotcha. Brenda, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Great. What is the best ever book you recently read? I really enjoyed Measure What Matters. That's a great book by John Doerr. What is your best ever way to give back? When my daughter was one month old, we spent a month in the hospital and that was Mm. really life changing for me. And you realize how much your world turns around as a parent. So since then, I've really tried to advocate for helping some of these families who are suffering through that same type of experience. Not only do I donate blood regularly, I find it that it's super important to show up to events and support those families. So donating to things such as Ronald McDonald's house, who were instrumental in helping me get through what I went through, but even helping children's hospitals throughout the country. That's so important for me. It's awesome. Brenda, thus far in your commercial real estate investing career, What is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I've made so many mistakes. I think you you. all the time, but you learn from them. I think the biggest one though was in the 2008, 2009 collapse. We were under construction in Twin Towers in downtown Los Angeles. And at that time, our construction lender folded and overnight Mm -hmm. thousands of people lost their jobs. And we were at a brink of having to lose the buildings ourselves. At the time, this same construction lender had a ton of construction loans throughout the country, especially in Florida and Los Angeles. Developers handed over the keys. We refused to do that. 
So it became litigation, eventually a settlement. And although we didn't lose money, we lost a lot of our time, a lot of the effort that was put into that. So what I would say the biggest mistake from that was there are times that you have to walk away and also accept that and not get into these longer litigation battles and understand what's going on in the economy. The indicators were there that this was going to happen with a construction lender and we should have paid attention a little sooner. Brenda, that being said, what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice is be ready to work hard because investing is not for just those who want to come in and do it part-time. To be honest with you, I treat my business like a true business. So I put in my 10 plus hours a day because that's what, in my opinion, is required to be successful in this industry. So my advice is put in the time because you will be rewarded for it. Awesome. And where can people get in touch with you? I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn by my name. I'm on Instagram, Brenda Does Real Estate. And of course, our website, thesswellventures.com. Those links are available in the show notes. Brenda, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend in real estate investing who you know we could add value to through this conversation. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thank you.